Says he got trapped in a coal mine, digging in the dark black pearl. Jesse got trapped in a coal mine, never did marry his girl. There ain't nowhere and there ain't no light and there ain't no way to make it out alive. His wedding was planned for the 5th of July, but Jesse got trapped in a coal mine. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That is good night, Texas. Jesse got trapped in a coal mine, kicking things off for us today. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer. And as always, Hoff Power Players as well. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. It is a treat, a pleasure, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thanks for being here. I do appreciate it. We've got a good one lined up for you. Uh, certainly some interesting stuff to get into, to say the least. And I'll tell you all about it momentarily, but first, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. I haven't actually, it's so sad, I haven't broken mine out this season because I've been spending so much time bow hunting for deer. I haven't even gone duck hunting one time. I feel like I'm cheating on Bell every time I leave the house. But uh, got this monster on camera, and he's got my mind warped. But I'm at the uh, the point now where... Uh, he's MIA. He's gone. He's a ghost. So it is time to uh, dust off the 12 gauge, pull the waders out of the garage, and fire up Bell because, man, I am jonesing to get after some quackers. So, anyway, see what happens when I start thinking about my Stanley thermos. I, it just makes me want to go duck hunting. But pour yourself another cup because we are ready to get things going here. Off the top, we'll be joined by a fascinating individual, someone who I became aware of through social media, saw his page and was like, what in the hell is this guy doing? And he's actually training minks. That's right. A member of the weasel family, a mink. Um, some of your wives might have a fur coat or maybe your mom's. I don't know if people still are buying mink fur coats, but uh, it was a big thing at one point in time, the fur industry anyway. But Joseph, the mink man Carter, is training these things to hunt various rodents, uh, nuisance pest removal, and he also incorporates a team of dogs into the equation as well. He's, he certainly lives an interesting life and has some hot takes on carnivores and their place in the natural order of things. So anyway, Joseph will be here uh, for a couple segments, and then we will spend some time talking winter crappie fishing and patterns with longtime guide Jerry Hancock. Uh, and also, man, Jerry's got some technology that he's been using for the past year that is going to blow your mind. Uh, new stuff from Garmin that he is a big fan of. So we'll get into all of that good stuff coming up at the bottom of the hour with Jerry. That's what's on the docket for today. Mink, uh, hounds, terriers, lurchers. If you don't know what a lurcher is, I didn't, uh, but you'll find out today. <laughs> and then, of course, some crappie discussion as well. A couple of other things to take care of. Don't forget that we are giving away a Mossberg Patriot 350 Legend this month. Going on right now. Send in your best outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Uh, or you can send it on Facebook or Instagram. But just uh, make note that you want to enter it into the October-November photo contest. One of y'all is going to win the brand spanking new 350 Legend from Mossberg Firearms. And then our monthly winners from 2019. 
will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or whitetail. No, not whitetail. Glenn gets mad at me when I say whitetail. Axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize hunt package offered up by Coons Canyon Ranch. Um, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got one of my own, Lone Star Outdoor Show cap, and this is in First Light Cypher, their, uh, their own camo pattern, Cypher. It's my favorite. It's got my logo on it, and we've got a First Light decal. We'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoor Show decal as well. All you have to do is email the word Lone Star, that's Lone Star, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll keep it simple. Let's take a break. Up next, I don't know what all we're going to get into, but Joseph Carter has three quarters of a million subscribers on YouTube for a reason. The Mink Man joins us next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I miss your small town way of love I miss the way my life was spent And every day was heaven sent in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. There's a little ZZ Top bringing us back on the Lone Star. Outdoor show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. A long time presenting sponsors. We've got a very interesting guest that will join us momentarily in Joseph the Mink Man Carter. But before we get into that discussion, this segment of the show brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Fury. HD range-finding binocular. If you want the best of both worlds, right? Or, if you, or maybe if you're a minimalist like I am, uh, then why do you want to carry a rangefinder and a bino? Well, you don't, especially in specific applications. Like if I'm rifle hunting, forget it. I'm not taking a rangefinder. I'm just taking the Fury because it's got both. And you can find it as well as Vortex's entire line 
of outstanding optics right there at vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. All right. Well, with that being said, let's bring on our first guest today. He's someone I became aware of through his Instagram page, and I started looking at his content and was like, wow, this is absolutely crazy and awesome at the same time. And so joining us from somewhere, I think maybe Utah, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Joseph, the mink man, Carter, to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man, it's my pleasure. So first of all, uh, where are you based out of? Uh, I'm in Utah, pretty close to Salt Lake. It's kind of the general Salt Lake area. Okay. And did you grow up hunting and fishing? I didn't. So um, I have uh, nobody in my in my immediate family that, that hunts or fishes. And um, um, and actually, my, my parents and siblings, none of them are really into animals at all in any way, shape, or form. Hmm or really much of the outdoors either. I um, I was born just loving animals from day one. I liked uh, worms and ants and turtles and snakes, just whatever I could catch as a little boy. And my interest grew. And as I matured, um, I started getting more interest in, in predators and carnivores. And... Um, because carnivores hunt, that's right. the things I was interested in and how they, you know, acquire their prey or search for their prey or gather their prey. I mean, not everything is an active hunter. You know, I was really into raccoons when I was like 10 and they're more of a, a gatherer than a hunter. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, I was intrigued with, you know, how, how animals live their lives. And um, by about a teen, when I was about a teenager, uh, about oh, what would I have been sixteen years old? No, fifteen years old. I got into falconry, and that was actually my first experience hunting was falconry. Which wow, kind of funny because you think you'd you'd like step into it slowly, right? Right. right. <laughs> my first hunting uh, was you know pretty hardcore falconry, the very time consuming, very complicated sport. Yeah, and so what um, kind of hawk or, or falcon did you get first? So I had uh, kestrels, American kestrels, and I had the a... The smallest uh, bird of prey in North America. Those are pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're super fun. I wanted a red-tailed hawk. That was my goal. I wanted to go and hunt uh, jackrabbits off of horseback with a red-tailed hawk. That was my goal. But when I... Um, went to trap a hawk. I didn't have very much help. My, my sponsor or the, the, the people who, a sponsor is a, you're legally supposed to have someone that's a mentor and mm-hmm. teaches you how to do falconry. Um, my sponsor was really busy. He didn't have time to come out trapping with me and kind of show me the ropes in person. He mainly answered questions over the phone. So I had to wing it and figure it <laughs> out. And when I got my license, it was right at the end of trapping season. So I didn't have much time and I didn't have any help. So I didn't. I wasn't successful at catching a red tail. So I just caught what I could, which was a kestrel. Uh-huh. But I found out that very quickly that a kestrel was actually ideal for me because I had lots and lots of access to hunting small birds, you know, sparrows and starlings. But the jackrabbit population really wasn't big enough for me to successfully go and hunt day in and day out. See, with falconry, you don't go hunting like like gun hunting. You go out on a weekend like once or twice a year or three or four times a year. That's kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. Falconry is an every day or every other day thing. You don't just do it on the weekends and you don't just do it a couple times a year. You 
it's a constant it's like a job i mean sure. you're doing it five times a week you know yeah i've uh, actually gone on a a, uh, a couple of uh, duck hunts with peregrine falcons uh oh, sweet. Some, some good friends and, and they've actually been on the show before so i'm i'm kind of well uh versed in in that system is like you know you had to be an apprentice with you're talking about your sponsor and but uh, but they yeah. all you know they, what they always say is the Falcons don't need us they just tolerate us business partner like they yeah. don't care about you as long as you pr- fulfill your role which is to keep them alive and uh, help produce the game that's it you yeah. know in, in other words feed them uh-huh. as long as you feed them and help them catch stuff they're cool the minute you stop doing one of those two things they don't want anything to do with you they'll just straight up leave you, mm-hmm. you know? I I believe I believe in hunting everything I don't I'm I'm this weird middle of the road guy. See, I didn't start out as a hunter. You know, I started out as a kid who loved pets, uh-huh. wild pets specifically. Um, so I've got a little bit of a weird tree hugger side, but <laughs> at the other side, I'm like the most extreme hunter you'll ever run into. I don't hunt once a year or once a week. I hunt three or four or five times a week. And if I go hunting once in a week, I feel like I haven't done anything that week. I'm like, man, I haven't been hunting for so long. <laughs> I get if it. If I go an entire two weeks without hunting, I'm like depressed. Oh, like, you yeah. know, wife's I, like, like, that like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. It, I, I just, it, it's not even the kill. Like I don't have to catch something. I just need to go out yeah. and I need to attempt and I need to go out. I made it nature. sound bloodthirsty there. No. Yeah. It's the experience, but yeah. Yeah, I, I love it, and that's my passion. So, so I've got this weird, you know, I'm big into hunting, and I think we should be able to hunt everything, anything that's not going to be their populations detrimented from the act of hunting. You know, I don't think we should go out and and hunt some animal that's going to get wiped out. But I don't think there should be animals you can't hunt unless they can't sustain their numbers when we right. hunt them. Right, absolutely agree. Like, I, I think anything that's like, oh no, you can never hunt X. Why? Right. Well, because. We don't hunt them. They're sacred. Why well, are it's they like sacred? the uh, everything's, the grizzly hunt, sacred. you know, that was that they were going to have in Wyoming. Here's here's a bunch of wildlife biologists who are trained to manage wildlife, saying, "Look, our our grizzly numbers are recovered. We have a population that is now um, maybe over carrying capacity. So we're going to open up a hunt and we're going to give away what is like 20 permits. Um, and and then of course the antis got all up in arms and were like, "No, we're not hunting grizzlies," and and they got the yeah. thing squashed. So. Um, it's because they're they're they think, they think emotionally. Yeah, exactly. They think about the one individual animal, and it's so sad for them. A wolf killed their cub. Tomorrow they're going to get hit by a car, or starved to death, or killed by another bear. Yeah, that's their life. This isn't some weird, strange thing. Being taken by a hunter's bullet is probably the most humane thing that they ever, they will ever have a chance of dying from. Their more likely way of dying from disease or starvation or injury or infection or whatever it is. And it's not going to, I mean, sure, they could get lucky and get hit by a car and boom, they're dead. But chances are they're not. Yeah. They're going to get mauled by another grizzly, drag their half dead body off, and starve <laughs> to death. So, That's you know nature. what? They're going to yeah. die. And they're going to die young. They're not going to live this ripe old age. No, they're going to die young. Almost all wild animals die young. They don't live half of their potential life. It doesn't matter if they're top of the food chain or the bottom of the food chain. If a wolf lives to eight years old, dude, he's a grandpa. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. they usually die at like four. So anyway, it, it, people get all emotional, and they the don't wolf that I've killed, I killed a wolf in British Columbia. And and just to your point here, she was old and had been kicked out of the pack. Like she was now a loner, and was probably not going to make it through the winter. I probably did her a favor, to be honest with you. She was going to end up like you said, one of those. Uh, one of those other natural ways of going isn't really yeah. that great. No, and it's and it's not 
it's not, I mean, people just get all emotional and they don't think, they just feel. Yeah. It's like, well, you have to, you have to think about things. You can't just go through life feeling, but you can't just go through life thinking either. You've got to have some feelings. I'm not saying you should be this robot. You're screaming and crying because some wild animal got killed, yet you paid someone to, to keep some animal in the most deplorable conditions possible so that you can eat it. Right, right. Right? Or, oh, I'm vegan. I don't do that. I destroy the na- natural habitat, pay someone to poison everything around it for miles, and destroy every living creature for miles so that I can eat my soybeans. You know? Like, the vegans are the most destructive of it all. If they consider their diet, they should just go to heck with veganism and start eating grass-fed beef if they care about life and animals. Absolutely. <laughs> go, go, eat, go, go and hunt a deer or eat grass-fed beef or free-range chickens or whatever. That's the most ecologically friendly like way of eating possible is to totally grow your own vegetables. I mean, I should say you shouldn't eat vegetables. Stop buying your vegetables, grow all of your own vegetables, and if you're going to purchase something, go purchase grass-fed beef and hunt your own meat. That's the most like humane and like environmentally friendly thing. Go back to the woods and start hunting stuff. And, and I say all this like I hate farmers. I don't. Like I'm just saying, like right. <laughs> everyone's a hypocrite. It's, you know, the everyone's a hypocrite. is not lost on me. Uh, you know, I see it every day. It's 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 mind-boggling. And then they want to produce this vegan, this produced crap and put it on a shelf and call it vegan bacon. No, bacon's yeah. made out of meat. <laughs> yeah, it's and not they made also out of want to buy. So veganism is only possible if you live in the tropics or, or, you know, very close to the equator. You cannot be a vegan and live anywhere very far from the equator. That's that's proven. I mean, humans, the farther you live from the equator, the more meat you eat. <laughs> and you get up far away and up to the poles and people live on a diet of meat and fish. And like, oh, I had berry once last month. Like, right. We're, we're talking before like modern times when we can ship stuff. Well, hey, um, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll get into uh, why I wanted to, to really have you on today. And that is the, uh, sure. you know, you've got the, the name, the Mink Man. And I want to get into that next. Sound good? Sounds good. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by my friends over at John X Safaris. I'm headed back for trip number four, July 25th through August 2nd this summer. If you want to be a part of it, shoot me an email, Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Love to have you on that South African safari of a lifetime. We will be right back with more from Joseph and Mink Man Carter on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hi, I'm Luke Anderson, the owner of Colt Construction. I'm also a proud outdoorsman and proud to support the Lone Star Outdoor Show. With roots dating back generations of hard work in the outdoors, I take pride in serving the citizens of the Lone Star State. There are tons of so-called roofing contractors in North Texas, but having a qualified, experienced, trustworthy one to deal with is few and far between. We want to be your one-stop shop to leave it better than we found it and have a relationship that goes past just improving your home or business. We run on three main principles. Quality, because quality comes with a price. We want to do it right the first time and use the best materials. Integrity, because you want to know the true condition of your home or business. And I'm going to be honest and tell you exactly what I think. Grit, because I've swung the hammer, bottom to top, I've done the labor. I know how the system works. We specialize in many different systems, including metal, clay tile, flat roofing, and good old shingles. You can find us at coltbuilds.com, our Facebook page, or our phone number is 817-789-7588. Colt Construction, dirty hands, clean money, your blue collar guy to call. 
heard you sing the first time at the local Legion Hall. The smoky air made your eyes red. They were staring straight through me. Now you sit on the sidewalk at the end of your shift. Prodigal Stars, the name of that one from Alex Bellin, bringing us back. On the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Spark Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. More importantly, thanks to you guys for being here today. As a uh, man, it is a treat to get to do this, to, to talk outdoors with you every week. So thanks for tuning in. Um, we are going to continue our conversation with Joseph the Mink Man Carter. Before we do that, this segment brought to you by. Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. With that being said, uh, Joseph, thanks for sticking around, man. Certainly enjoying the conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we talked about kind of your background. You didn't grow up in a hunting family, but you, you had this inherent love for, for animals, for wild animals. Um, you know, sounds a lot like myself, to be honest. Um, but... You got into hawking in your teens, got a, an American kestrel. Where did that, or how did you transition from the kestrel into uh, raising and hunting with minks? So, yeah, I was totally obsessed with falconry. I, I Everything I, I could think about, you know, I, I'd wake my my poor, poor anyone around me. I'd be walking around, and we'd be on a totally different subject, and I'd be like, oh, my hawk did this, or oh, look, there's a hawk in the sky, or oh, man, I drove people nuts. Like, the kids you talk about anything other than hawks? I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> um, I, okay, so I moved out of my father's house because my dad is not an animal guy at all, uh-huh. like I mentioned, not even a little bit. My grandfather's a horse trainer, so he obviously lives more of a rural-type lifestyle, and he's a lot more of an animal guy. Obviously, that was his livelihood, was training animals. So when I was 15 years old, my dad and I just butt heads hard enough that I, I ended up moving out and living with my grandfather. And, you know, we were still on good terms. It was just better for both of us. I wasn't stressing him out, and I had the free to do what I wanted yeah. to some degree. You know. um, my grandfather moved around a lot um, with his profession, and we moved to a place called Lehigh in Utah. And Lehigh has a ton of mink farms. Hmm. And um, I didn't really know what a mink was. I mean, I knew the basics, probably more than the vast majority of people. I knew that they were a member of the weasel family. But really, that was that was kind of it. I knew that... I didn't know they were semi-aquatic. I didn't know any of the details. And so I think that's probably most moved... people's knowledge base on minks, right? Is it? Oh, it's oh no. Most people don't even know that much. Most people are like <laughs> fur coat. Right. Right. Wait, that's an animal. Oh, I guess it has to be an animal, right? Like uh-huh. no clue what a mink is. It is the, is when I talk to the general public, sure. Trappers and hunters probably know what mink are. Uh, but when you talk to the general public, it, it takes a minute for them to even click that they're an animal. <laughs> right. Um, they can give them as clothing. So, so yeah, I I knew a hair above the norm. I knew that they were a member of the weasel family, and that was about it. So, and everybody told me just about the same thing. Oh, they're the most vicious, horrible, bloodthirsty creature on the planet. They're you know impossible to tame, impossible to train. You know, they're good for nothing but their fur. And uh, I said, well, you know, I started asking, well, what if you got them as a baby? What if you do this? What if you do that? And everyone said, oh, it doesn't matter what age you get them. They're they're mean from it, from birth. And if you, they you only know, get meaner, tame, <laughs> and they only get meaner. Yeah. yeah. If you tame one down, it'll eventually turn on you. You know, 
being an animal, wild animal enthusiast and an animal trainer, you know, being at the time 18 years old and telling me I can't, that's a great way for me to go out and try it, you know? (laughs) So I had a goal. It was more of a curiosity than anything. It wasn't a passion or anything at this point. It was just a curiosity. I want to see if I could do it. So the mink are really, really tricky and smart, and they they always eventually uh, you're going to end up with a mink in your backyard if you live anywhere near a farm because they escape uh, no matter what the farmers do to prevent it. They're going to find some way out. And um, eventually I found a mink um, wandering around, and I, I captured it. It was surprisingly easy, but of course it had lived its life in a little you know, cage the size of a shoebox. So mm. it wasn't, wasn't that savvy. Um, I caught it, brought it home, tamed it, and it wasn't that big of a deal. And I was like, well, crap, that was a bit of a, that wasn't very exciting. You know, it just kind of happened first try. And so I was walking around and people were kind of impre- were pretty impressed. And then one guy, he wasn't so impressed. He was like, well, that's a blue mink. Those are the calm ones. Of course you tame that. Mm. You wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to tame one of the other ones. I'm like, well, what's the meanest color in it? Like all oh, the black ones are vicious. I'm like, okay, we'll have to give that a try. You know, eventually someone found a uh, mink in their garage. And at this point I'd been kind of, people got to know me as the mink guy. Cause I was walking around this mink on a leash, you know? And so like, <laughs> Oh, Hey, there's mink in my garage. You come help me. And I'm like, sure. So I went and caught it and it was a black one. So I, sweet let's give it a try and so i thought well it was so easy the first time let's try a totally different method than what i tried the first one and see if it works and it didn't work at all i just happened to stumble on the right method and and there's multiple right methods but i i stumbled on a right method the second method was just horrible which was basically i tried to train it like a hawk i tried restraining it putting Mm. a leash on it holding it on my glove god just made it mad it just fought me and backfire i'm like okay that's not working let's go back to the free flowing method where i don't restrain the meat and so the next one that i found i found some kids poking sticks at one in a in a log pile and i chased them away and these are these are farm kids i knew they would end up killing it so i was like i better save this thing so i caught it and brought it home and that was another black one this was a black male and he was what made me fall in love with mink. The other mink, it was more of a kind of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't even do research. I didn't know. I asked the farmers what to feed them and fed them what they told me. Like I didn't really do any homework on it. Um, but this next one had such a personality. He was so clever. So you and now you, you predominantly have mink, black ones now. Yeah, I don't even mess with the other colors because of the. They all have some type of issue. Well, I shouldn't say all. I'm sure there's probably some exception. But I, I mean, why roll the die and go around experimenting it with it? You know, right. farmers can't tell you for sure. Scientists can't tell you for sure because they're not out hunting with their meat, putting them. Because my meat are constantly being exposed to stuff, and so I, they're not sitting in a in a clean or, or in, in a sterile environment in a cage. They're out, you know, digging through rat burrows and running in the mud. And, and how many so do you, how many meat you, do you have today? So right now I've got I've got eight adults and then I've got a bunch of babies. I've got a, a little my own little breeding program now, so I'm selecting for the traits that I want. They're the number one predator to muskrats, but they hunt everything they can. So they'll catch minnows and crayfish, and there's certain mink in the wild that guarantee you never ate a muskrat in their life. And there's other ones who focus on them and that's one of their main prey items during certain times of year i mean it wouldn't be year-round but certain times of year uh they would prey predominantly on muskrats do you actually train these things and then go out and like do pest removal or you just tell them for fun like what is 
What is your goal and what are you going out and hunting with your mink? My main obsession to begin with was just learning what can these animals do, what can't they do, and how do they do it? Because I have a tame trained mink. I can sit and, you know, feet from it and watch it catch a fish or a muskrat or a rat. That was my first main interest in them was just learning about them, seeing if it could be done to begin with. I wanted to see, oh, can I train a mink? So I do pest control for sure. I go out and um, we try and give the mink a huge artificial advantage. And we use dogs and tools and stuff to catch as many and everything we can, typically of brown rats. Mm-hmm. Rats that are infecting people's houses or farms or, or chicken coops, whatever the case may be. So the mink goes down the hole or hiding spot, whatever they're hiding in, and tries to catch all the rats it can. Mm-hmm. Of course, the rats typically aren't stupid, and they say, hey, there's a mink in my house. Let's get the heck out of the house. And while they're you know, busting and running, the dogs snatch them up. Okay, got it, got it. So if I was to have two dogs, I would have one terrier, not two terriers, uh-huh. or six terriers. I would have one terrier, and I would have one what's called a lurcher. And a lurcher is a sight hound cross with something else. Um, you could even go with straight sight hound. It wouldn't have to lurcher. be a lurcher. This is an interesting term. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a term over from the British Isles over in the UK, and, and basically they love to make the craziest words you can imagine. <laughs> I don't know mm. where the word came from. I don't know the history on that, but it's since it's simply a sight hound crossed with some other useful breed. Huh. So the the more common lurchers are collie lurchers, so greyhound or whippet typically crossed over a a collie. Okay. And the advantage is, so a a sighthound is an extremely specialized breed. They're really, really, really good at at one thing, and they suck at everything else. So they're, they're, I shouldn't say one thing, but one area. And the things they're good at, obviously speed and uh, sight, like they they could see farther and better than most dogs. If I used to only have one dog, it would almost never be a terrier. Uh It would always be one of these lurcher-type dogs. A dog who's an all-rounder. He's not a specialist, just a sighthound. He's an all-rounder. He's not as fast as a pure sighthound, but he's got some other qualities, like trainability, durability, good nose. And what I have right now is uh, I have a bull lurcher, and he is a one-quarter pit bull, three-quarter sighthound. And then I have another one that's a terrier lurcher. She's a, a Patterdale Terrier lurcher. So she's tiny like a Patterdale, like a little Jack Russell Terrier, but she's really, really, really quick. She's got that running dog muscles, so fast twitch, big muscles, and a little bit longer leg. Having a mix of dogs is so much more beneficial because the rats don't end up in the same circumstance every time. It doesn't sound like the rats the rat... stand a chance, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the goal. Right, for them not to stand right. a chance. Well, Joseph, we better work in a quick break here. Uh, still a lot to get into. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. We continue talking hunting with minks and dogs and who knows what else with Joseph the Mink Man Carter after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. 
Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Mistakes, I swear I should have known better. Half of my mistakes were just amongst friends. You get a little distance on it. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Radney Foster, half of my mistakes. Love that tune there. I love that you guys are here tuning in. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Do appreciate it. Uh, we are rocking and rolling, visiting with an interesting character, a uh, passionate hunter and mink trainer, breeder, uh, behavioral expert, and then also trains dogs as well. He's got a unique team of animals that he uses to hunt uh, rats and uh, muskrats and other rodents. Certainly an off-the-beaten-path existence for a sportsman, uh, but one of us nonetheless. And Joseph, I certainly appreciate you sticking around, brother. One thing that I want to ask, when you stick a mink down a hole, whether that someone's called you for like a nuisance deal or you're just out hunting for fun with your animals, who kills the rats? Is it, is it the mink that actually is killing them, or are they pushing them out of the hole and the, the dog kills them? How does that dynamic play out? Okay, so if we're strictly using mink and dogs, we're not – like lifting up objects and things like that. Um, it, we're looking at anywhere from a half to a third are being killed by the mink mm -hmm. and a half to two thirds are being killed by the dogs. Okay. If we're okay. straight up bolting. Yeah. A lot of times we end up using a mixture of things. So sometimes we don't, sometimes it's, it's beneficial to just put the mink away and not even use the mink and just go move objects. Like if they're movable, um, you could just go in and, you know, lift a hay bale or whatever, and the rat runs out and the dog catches it. You don't have to wait for the mink to go down, battle uh -huh. the rat. And you can let the mink rest and use them in situations that it's not very beneficial. Like you can't tear up a, a cement pad, right? If the rats are under a cement pad, how are you going to get them out? Well, you stick the mink under there. Does the mink if always the come option, back to you? How does it, is it just like the falconry, they tolerate you, or do you, is it more of a bond than that? So if you get a mink from a very young age, Call it a wanagse. Um, it's a Native American term. Uh, we don't need to go into it. Basically, a wanagse is a mink that you raised from a young enough age that it considers you mom. Uh -huh. So it follows you around. It calls you. It wants to be near you. It loves you. It plays with you. That's a wanagse. And if you get a mink young enough to do this, uh, you could get away with a lot of stuff. You can handle them a, a lot more recklessly or I don't know how to say it. you don't have to be as careful I've you seen a picture of your thumb them. I think that and you took a bite by one of these guys and it was uh, <laughs> looked like it probably hurt maybe stitches yeah that, I, I, I haven't had stitches from a mink but it hurts for sure I've had stitches from from other stuff uh, rodents their teeth slice like knives huh. rather than stab like a needle and um, yeah I've had I've had to stitch myself up a couple times from muskrat bites but huh. mink bites it's more of a crushing uh, bite with, with stabbing needles. Whereas like a muskrat, it's like you got cut with a knife. So mm. yeah, you end up stitching yourself up after a muskrat bite. But yeah, so if you raise them from a young kit, they will create a bond with you. And if you nurture that bond, it's not something that just happens. Not like getting a dog or a ferret and they just love you because they know you. 
No, even if you get one from a baby, you've got to really nurture and care for that relationship because they can divorce you per se. Uh, if you treat them poorly or don't give them enough attention, even though you raise them as a baby, they'll grow up to resent you. You just said how of a you know dominant personality you have. What was your dating life like when you were younger, Joseph? It seems like animals oh, were you know front and center, and maybe didn't have time for that. Yeah, I mean, I I had I was very romantic. I mean, still am a very romantic guy. I love you know the idea of having a relationship and and uh, you know a girl who loves me and and um, spending time with her. But I'm a very, very different person, as you've realized, from the norm. And so it was very difficult for me. I, like, I know what I want. I'm a very straightforward guy. I'm a very blunt guy, um, often to a flaw. I don't hide my feelings or my personality or what I think. I let you know, hey, I don't like that. Hey, I do like this. And I'm not controlling. Like, I don't like to control people. I'm not like that at all. I don't hide what I think. So, what yeah, about when she says, difficult. does this dress make me look fat? Do you want me to lie to you or tell you the truth? Oh yeah, I'll just be like, yeah, it looks fine, babe. Like I, I don't, I don't answer the question. Yeah. I give her the same answer no matter what she has. Right. She doesn't. I have a really good wife. My wife is amazing. She doesn't get you in those traps. And if I right. told her the answer, like, yeah, you look fat, in that she'd be like, okay, she go chase. Like, she would, <laughs> I would never say that. Of course. But like, if I did. I, I already know the answer. She'd be like, oh, okay, uh, she'll go change. She's a, she is not the typical woman at all. As you can imagine, being married to me, she, she'd have to not be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have an amazing wife. Every other day, we're like, man, we have a good life. It's not like we never fight, but it's yeah. a fat. Well, hey, she puts fight. up it's with you and your family of, of minks and, and rat-killing dogs, and uh, much like my wife puts up with me traveling and going hunting and, and you know being obsessed with the outdoors all the time. So Yeah, yeah I... I have an amazing wife to put up with me and my, my shenanigans because it is very atypical and it's not normal for our culture at all. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you live an interesting life, man. And that's really, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on. I've, um, we are, we are out of time though. If you want to give us your uh, Instagram, I don't know if you have a YouTube or you mentioned you have a book. Do you want to plug that stuff? Sure. Yeah. If you want to find me on YouTube, just look up Mink. I, it's pretty hard to find anything else. Uh, I'm Joseph Carter, the mink man, if you want to make your search more specific, but it's hard to find anyone other than me when you search mink. And then my book is uh, The New Sport of Minkinry. Well, hey, brother, I certainly appreciate it. I will be following along on your Instagram page. Love seeing the stuff you put up there and uh, just fascinating that you home with those little critters. So cool stuff, sure. man. Thanks for having me. If you ever want to have another one of these, you know, give me a call, let me know. And we can get into more details on mink if people are curious about it. So. Sounds good, Joseph. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Take care. So there you have it. Something totally different for you today. The Mink Man himself. <laughs> Fascinating guy there, Joseph Carter. That segment was brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You can find their entire lineup right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. We will be right back with some crappie conversation. What are those slabs up to as we transition from fall into winter? We discuss with longtime crappie guide Jerry Hancock after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I was just 17 when the highway called. Mama said, boy, don't send me no tears back to Wichita Falls. 
Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from, and it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to OutdoorAccess.com, that's OutdoorAccess.com, and use my promo code LONESTAR for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. And then we put our lines down in the water and waited for the fish to bite. Yeah, we talked about God and talked about a living. There's times we would talk all night. Bo Phillips Band, fishing with Grandpa, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Thanks to you for being here. As we're about to shift gears, talk a little wintertime crappie fishing. What are those slabs up to? Well, longtime guide Jerry Hancock will join us momentarily. But before we do that, this segment is brought to you by Our Look Outfitters. If you're looking to book the moose hunt of a lifetime, actually, I just returned from mine. Check it out, ourlookoutfitters.com. Newfoundland, a beautiful province. The views, the people, and the experience, one that I highly recommend. Uh, all right, well, let's talk some fishing here with our good friend and crappie guide, Jerry Hancock. Thanks for being here, Jerry. Oh, Cable, I appreciate you letting me come on with you. I'm a big fan of your show and listen to it all the time. It's exciting to be to be on. Absolutely. And you, and you actually have uh, fished quite a bit with uh, Paulo Beer, who's been on the show a few times over the years. And But for our listeners, tell us where it all started for you. Why crappie? Uh, you know, I grew up you know, hunting, fishing, and, and we fished for a lot of different things. My dad... I would say I would have to credit my dad for getting me started in fishing and, and hunting. And we grew up, you know, growing up here uh, close to Lake Lebon, that was uh, kind of our home lake. So we, we crappie fished at certain times of the year and catfished and, you know, white bass. And we still take home as striper fishing, did a little bit of everything. And mm-hmm. as I got older and I first started guiding was mainly for catfish out here at Lebon for uh, trophy blues and stuff and did that for a long time and and love crappie fishing there's something about crappie fishing uh, that thump that you get the you know the guys that do crappie fish they know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. it's, it's addictive so uh 
I bass fished for years. I did everything, but I just uh, stopped fishing. Just gradually uh, got to be, you know, become my my love. And now that's that's about all I do. It's all I guide <laughs> for. It's all I fish for. I fish tournaments. And when I think about going fishing, it's crappie fishing. It's not bass fishing or cat fishing or anything else. So it's just over the years. I'd say I started guiding in '99, uh, and then probably about 2000. Four, I started fishing a few crappie tournaments, and I won a regional up in uh, Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, a big crappie SA tournament, like a hundred teams. We, me and a, me and a friend of mine, Craig Carpenter, we won that thing, and that was kind of the beginning of I was hooked. Uh-huh. You know? And um, so I've been fishing tournaments, and you mentioned Paulo Beer. Me and Paul fished tournaments together and guided together. Uh, we still fish some together. I talk to Paul several times a week. He's one of my heroes when it comes to crappie fishing. He's about as he's one of the top top sticks in the whole country. Yeah. You know, and uh, super guy. So I've been blessed to to be to learn and fish around some really good fishermen over the years. You know, and it's just kind of morphed into that's uh, what I do for a living now. I work twenty three years for the post office, and I got it on the side. And when I finally got out of that uh this is all i do for a living now so most of my business is lebon and lake fork i would say fork is kind of taken over for me because of the quality of fish over there you know it's named as uh top the number five lake in the country for crappie wow it's just an unbelievable fishery everybody thinks about lake fork for bass and it is a you know bass capital of the world they called it for a long time but it's one of the top crappie lakes in the country i have people come in from all over to fish over there with me and uh, uh-huh. adding for it to my arsenal has really changed my game and and upped it a lot so um so i went fishing with paul on lake fork oh, probably six or seven years ago and uh you talk about the quality of fish like i think everything we caught was like two pounds I mean, it was absurd a pound and a half two yeah. pounds yeah it's it is it's really uh it'll spoil you i fish it uh you know, fishing it every day, I get spoiled uh, to it. Uh, I, you know, it, it's it, it is it's phenomenal, yeah. and um, I, it it's just I love that lake. Uh, you know, it's a fishing lake. You don't have to deal with jet skis and water skiers and pleasure boaters. It's you know, it's a fishing lake. Everything around that lake is based on fishing. Mm-hmm. It's just a wonderful place to go. I got a trailer over there at Lake Lodge. I spend about half my time at Fort. You know, staying over there and. Hopefully, if uh, Lord willing, we're going to be able to move there someday, and that'll mm-hmm. kind of be our retirement area, and be able to to live on Lake Fork would would be a dream come true for me. Well, so Jerry, this time of year, you know, the lakes they've they've cooled off. We've had quite a few uh, cold fronts. Temperatures have gotten into the twenties a couple times, and so what does that mean for the for the crappie? As far as what are they up to, and where are you finding them? Well, you know, you know, last week we had those nights that got down in the 20s. And mm-hmm. we had, what, two or three days of just extremely cold weather, which that's kind of been the normal. You know, we go straight from summer to winter now. Our falls uh, doesn't seem like we get a lot of fall days. But, right. you know, in the fall, the fish, they move out of their summer pattern. They really start feeding heavily, getting ready for the winter. They're starting to develop their eggs. Uh, so they're going to feed really heavy in the fall. Fall, October, November two of my favorite months to fish uh fish are fat they're they're hungry and um what's happened here in the last week or so after that cold front you know it kind of pushed those fish deeper the the bait 
has has moved deeper. And uh, at Lebon, I'm fishing 25, 30 foot water, catching them, you know, near the bottom uh, at Fort. Um, are they relating to structure, out. or are they just suspended? They, the, both. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them are relating to structure. They are, and some are just they just school up and they follow shad around. Um, and you know, Lavon is a little different lake than some. Uh, you know, it's it's an old lake. All the creek channels are silted in. It's pretty much a bowl. It's got a few little humps and stuff that make, has a little structure on it. It's a little different animal than say Lake Fork. Mm-hmm. Lake Fork has really nice creek major creek channels with big timber on it and um, what i'm doing at fork is i'm getting out on the major creek channel because these fish use the creek channels just like we use highways when they start making their major moves in the winter and the spring they're going to follow a creek channel up you know or uh, either shallow or deep mm-hmm. and uh, I, I i focus on creek channels I'm not necessarily in the creek, but I'm going to be close to it, okay. and uh, the, the bait will be in it. So I, I'm getting out on creek channels, and I get I get in a depth. Uh, for instance, Tuesday I, I had a two gentlemen at Fork, and I uh, hadn't fished over there in ten days. I'd been at Lebon, so I started like 24 foot water on the creek channel, and I just didn't I didn't see any bait, uh, didn't see much, not many fish. So I just kept working my way deeper. And once we got to 30 foot, well, there was the bait and there was the fish, you mm. know, and the fish were suspended under the bait about 20 foot deep, most of it. Catch some on trees and some are just schools of 10 to 50 fish out roaming in the middle of nowhere. Um, one thing I use, and uh, I'm, if anybody's, you know, pays much attention to fishing, especially crappie fishing, there's a new electronics out called LiveScope. Uh, Garmin makes it. And it's uh, it's the greatest thing to come along. Yeah, I, I don't know. Since the fish hook, in my opinion, I, I'm going to tell you, it's it's, it's live time. Uh, you can point that transducer and scan out however far you want to see. You see the fish swimming. You can actually drop your bait, see your bait falling right on the fish. You see how oh, they wow. act. It's it's you know some people call it video game fishing. Um, now, do they allow that for in, in tournament fishing? They do. They, they do. do, and it's actually, you know, getting to be if you don't if you don't have live scope, it's going to be hard to compete in tournaments because there's guys that are doing things with live scope that um, used to you'd have to spider rig and stuff. You know, uh, Grenada, Mississippi is probably the top crappie lake in the country as far as quality, and they have tournaments over there, and these spider riggers always win it. Well, this year, these guys that are really proficient with live scope was winning tournaments with one pole against two guys. You know, one guy with one pole is beating two guys with uh, eight poles. Wow. And uh, it's just, uh, it's phenomenal. You know, it, it's caused a lot of controversy. Um, I guess you could you could say cable is kind of like some people thinking of deer hunting over a feeder. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that's not any sport. You know, they say, well, it's no sport to live scope. Well, it doesn't make them bite, for one thing. You still got to find the fish. Right. And uh, if you, you realize with live scope how many fish you put a bait in front of that do not bite. They just do not react to it. Huh. Uh, it's, it can be frustrating, but it's my customers. There's a guide. Customers get up there and they watch that. They have a ball with it. it kids love it. They, they catch on before we do. <laughs> they, they're great with video games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so that, that's what I'm using it at. Is, is getting that live scope and easing up down this creek channel and, and kind of picking off fish uh, as I come to them. You know, and the, as it gets colder, 
they'll just keep moving deeper. Um, you know, and then uh, they'll get out and hang out in deep water all winter. Um, then you start getting into late January and February, they're going to turn around and they'll work their way back shallower up the creek channel, uh-huh. getting ready for the spawn. You know, so it's a yeah. It's, you just follow them. Well, so let me ask you this: What is your rod, reel, and line setup? I cable. I fish for Mister Crappie on his protein lose. Uh, I use lose. Oh yeah, I've got his. I've got Wally's uh, Crappie rod and reel. Uh huh. Yep, I use lose. Lose make this stuff now, and and you know I've been around as long as I have. I've tried all kinds of rod and reels, and it's been the best. The best thing that's happened to me was getting hooked up with uh, Wally and lose because. They, they have so many different rods and reels and, and everything that Wally has. They're awesome rods. I mean, I love, I'm generally using a 10 or a 12 foot with that live scope. If, if we're fishing uh, submerged timber, mm-hmm. uh, I use a bait cast reel most of the time. And I, at Fork, I use a 20 pound braided line that uh, I tie directly to it. Um, keep them out of the can wrapped up in those trees can, i'm sure you, you can you can horse them out you yeah. i don't break many fish off that way the fish do not care about the line uh and now that's that's one setup if i'm at Lebon fishing some of my deep stuff out there i'll use a nine foot uh with the spinning reel and mono line out there um but yeah so those fish are they're a little more finicky on the line they're they're, they're they can be um not so much the line; it's just the way we're fishing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that braid um, fishing on the bottom out there, that deep with uh, say an eight ounce jig, which is what I'm using at Lebon. It's hard to get that twenty pound braid down there to them very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need it. Uh, kind of fishing open water, so I don't need it. Um, it's a little bit easier on customers too. Braided line. You know, I love it, but it tangles on everything you've got oh, yeah. around the tip. So, it, 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 you know, it's, it's good things and bad things about it. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what I'm doing with, with what I'm – I'm either using a 10-pound line mono or a 20-pound braid. Okay. Uh, what is, is kind of what I'm going to use. Jig-wise, um, and I, you know, sponsored by Strike King, so I use a lot of, of Wally's uh, uh, jigs. And uh, I do – I'm getting – uh, little hair jigs that people tie. I'm starting to use some of them uh, when these fish are really finicky. Uh, we've learned a lot with live scope on fish's behavior that um, color doesn't matter as much as profile does. So you know, some days you can get by with a with a bigger bait, and they'll just uh, they'll smack it. And some days they want a little bitty little bitty bait. Hmm. And uh, so it's you know, live scope's taught you know all of us guys that's had, that's been fishing forever. We've, I've learned in the last year with LiveScope probably more about crappie behavior than I, I did in the first 19 years I got. <laughs> That's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. 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 So when they when these crappie thump it, are they are they hooking themselves, Jerry, or are you still having to set the hook? No, you you set the hook. Uh, okay. You know, right now a lot of them are pretty light bite, um, very light. Sometimes it's so light I'm telling the customers, jerk, he bit it. You know, and they're like, what? Mm. I seen it on LiveScope. He hit it. <laughs> uh, it's that light. Uh, they hit up on it. You know, everybody talks about, oh, don't don't set the hook on crappie or rip their mouth. All that. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent opposite. I'm going to jerk their head off. I mean, I'm going to set the hook on them, bury that hook in the top of that mouth. Especially those big fish. They got a hard, bony mouth. Uh, I want to set the hook. Keep a lot of pressure on them. If fish are getting off, 
there's two things. You're not setting the hook and you're giving them slack. You're not keeping enough pressure on them. Mm-hmm. So uh, most people, I, I, that, that when they first start fishing with me, I, you know, that's a common mistake is they do not keep enough pressure on a fish and they don't set the hook hard enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely set the hook on them when they bite. You know, it's a any time of the year. No mercy. You know, yeah. A, no mercy. <laughs> no. No. We gonna set the hook on them. Uh huh. And now, are these mostly black or white crappie, or does a uh, you know fork specifically have both species? Both. Uh, I caught a probably fifty-fifty Tuesday at Fork. Uh, a lot of the time of the year when I fish up on the far west end. And that timber and that mullier water, we're catching predominantly white crappie. Uh, when you get down to a little deeper water and clear water, I'll get more into white crappie. Uh, or the black I'm crappie? About, or black crappie, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And uh, same as Lebon. You know, Lebon's full of black crappie now. It didn't used to, but they're getting to be, they're in there and they're getting to be uh, pretty good size. So I'm catching uh, probably uh, 50-50 black crappie and white crappie at Lebon now. Um you know, mm-hmm. any time of the year typically the, the black crappie will they like a little clearer water mm-hmm. um, they they'll might be they'll be a little bit shallower than the white crappie in my opinion um i can almost tell you by the way they're on live scope how they're setting up and how they're moving which one's which um for instance at, at fork right now submerged boat arc trees uh they're going to be predominantly white crappie in them. And mm. then if you got just your pole timber, just your, your normal stumps, there'll be black crappie around them. Mm. So, uh, and they'll generally be in a bigger school. There'll be more black crappie in the school. There might be four to eight white crappie in a tree, and there might be 50 black crappie in the school around one tree, you know. So, I'm going to have to look uh, at this live scope. You're going to have to take me fishing, actually. I'm going to have to check this yeah, live scope yeah, out. Yeah, you're going to have to. I, I tell you, it's. Uh, I haven't played a video game in a long time, but if there was like a virtual one where you actually ended up catching fish, I'm, I'm all about that. It's. I tell you, you know, I can't say enough for it. If if, if anybody's listening that doesn't know what it is, you can. There's YouTube videos out there, uh, Facebook. You can find videos on it. It's. Uh, you know, I, I've I've had it for a year. I probably ran uh, since January. You know, 200 trips with customers with live scope and i've not had one single customer get out of the boat and say i didn't like that mm. they all just go on and on <laughs> i love that that's so much fun it's 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 different you know it is it keeps you keeps you you know you're watching that screen you know when you see your bait falling and you see it say hey man here he comes he saw it he's here he comes he's fixing to get it oh he bit it jerk you know they're, <laughs> they're like wow you know it's it's just different you know yeah it, it, it's fun, I tell you. It's it's a it's a whole new whole new ball game, and it's it's I think it's it's changed the sport tremendously for the for for the good. You know, there's boat companies now are designing boats based around it. There's rod companies building rods for live scope, hmm. uh, lures for it, baits. Uh, you know, it's it's growing the sport of crappie fishing uh, where. Uh, it's never been grown before. You know, it's getting to places it hasn't. You know, we, me and two buddies of mine actually started a called Pro Crappie Trail. We've had uh, three tournaments so far. We've got six for, for 2020. It's an individual angler, single pole, artificial only tournament, which basically a live scope tournament. And um, hmm. we, we, it, it seems to be taking off pretty good. Um, you don't, you realize with live scope, you don't need a partner anymore. You know, uh, <laughs> It, it, it's you know it's the sport's changing and, and, and it's fun you know mm-hmm. it, 
it really is. It's it's great, and I can I can almost tell you when I see a fish, almost how big he is. You know, uh, before you ever catch him, I can tell you if it's going to be a good fish or not. Hmm. It's it's it is. It's very it's a it's an interesting tool, and and it's it's one of those. Uh, it's a game changer. You know. Well, Jerry, what um what are your thoughts on? Well, let me ask you this because when I go crappie fishing, I I like to keep the crappie. I mean, that's that's the beauty of it. Oh, definitely. You know, oh, definitely. Them and walleye are probably the two best freshwater fish, in my opinion, as far as table fare goes. Um, For sure. What is your favorite uh, recipe? I, well, naturally fried. Sure. <laughs> you know, uh, the most unhealthy way you can eat them. Right. Uh, you know, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a spicy food guy. I'm a, I like a Cajun food and all that. So I will get a, uh, you know, a, a Louisiana uh, fish batter and uh, i'll actually add a little more tie into it and uh, i like to fry them uh, my wife doesn't like to fry much so we we she does a lot of baking mm-hmm. with them and she'll make fish tacos with them you know and uh, man they're wonderful that way mm. um you know just chop you up some cabbage and corn tortillas and all that and well Good they're stuff. wonderful doing it that way yeah. yeah so that's the two ways we eat them mostly but if you know when i think of eating crappie here I'm thinking of frying them, you know, good old, good old fried crappie. Right. That's hard to beat, you know, and that's, you know, I, I, I clean a bunch of them, you know, I, every trip, you know. We, How many of your clients actually have ever asked you to keep the tails? You know, a few. Because uh, I like to fry those up. They're like eat potato chips. Exactly. I yeah. had some customers in from Louisiana this year, and, and he scaled them, and then I filleted them and left the skin on. And then one, then cut the tail and left the the tail attached to one fillet hmm. and the skin on it. And they fry them up that way. And he's telling me, if you never eat them that way, you've got to do it. You know, and it's it's a lot more trouble. You know, <laughs> I'm sure to, yeah. to, to do all that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, oh yeah, all them fans fried up. You know, with kids, you know, uh, our grandparents. You know, they got mad if you had a fillet of fish. You were wasting all that meat. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yeah. but, when you're cleaning 50 or 100 a day, you know, I, I, I got that, uh, I bust that electric or that, that Rapala out and, and, and go to town on them. I, I just not going to, I'm not going to, you know, scale them. Yeah. But, uh, they are definitely good for sure. Well, um, if you want to give us your website real quick. Yeah, it's HancockGuideService.com. Um, I've got all my information on there and, and on Facebook. If, if you're on Facebook, I'm, uh, you know, Hancock's Guide Service. Or you can look under Jerry Hancock and get to it that way. And I post a report and pictures daily on my Facebook page. That's been really where most of my new business comes from. And I post on a lot of fishing pages on Facebook and share, you know, share what my reports are uh, every day and and try to help people out that way. So um, you can find me there. Perfect. uh, Give me a call. You know, I'd be glad if you got any questions, if someone's headed to, to Lake Fork or Lamont or anywhere, and if I can help them out, just get in touch with me. I'll be glad to share any information I can with them. Well, Jerry, man, we certainly appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I'll look forward to uh, to coming out sometime and and checking out the the live scope and the technology behind that. I and mean, it sounds amazing. <laughs> oh man, definitely. We'll have to we'll have to get that done and uh, get out there one day. If you get that big buck, man, yeah, we'll go fishing. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks again, Jerry. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Cable. Long-time crappie guy, Jerry Hancock. Man, lots of great stuff to say about LiveScope. Um, I've seen that technology at trade shows. I haven't actually 
been in a boat with it so far, but uh, certainly looking forward to checking that out. Um, that segment of the presentation brought to you by Pulsars. Thermion, it is the only scope, thermal scope out there that fits a 30 millimeter tube. So if that's the style of optic that you're used to or that you prefer, head over to PulsarNV.com and check out the Thermion. I guarantee you, you will love it. I love mine. Um, man, just looking at the clock here, unfortunately, we've got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Jerry, as well as our other guest today, Joseph the Mink Man Carter. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I saw it all coming down, just like a cannonball, landing in a fishbowl. Broke glass and everything. What a tragedy.